Chapter 16 of The Boy Chums in the Florida Jungle by Wilmer M. Eli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 16 Fighting the Fire. Midnight, and the silence of sleep hung over the little camp, when suddenly there came the shriek of the whistle from the machine, four long blasts, the distress signal, and from their lines the guards came running in crying fire fire our little party awakened by the din stopped only to slip on their shoes and when they emerged from the tent it was to find the spaniards half-dressed pouring out of their shelters one glance was all that was needed to take in the situation not a half a mile distant from the camp the prairie was a mass of flames a strong wind was blowing from the north and it was rapidly sweeping the flames down upon the little camp my exclaimed walter it looks as though we were goners all right let's fight as long as we can anyway said charlie who was rapidly making his plans captain get all the buckets out of the cook tent and set half the men to wetting down the tents the other half will come with me walt come with me also come on men each of you bring along a big spruce limb with you we have got to fight fire with fire he explained to walter as he headed for the path the guards had trod down in the grass just outside the path is the best place to start a backfire the path will help to keep it from working back to the tents the two lads tore up big bunches of dry grass and lighting them ran along the half-circle path scattering fire as they went the spaniards were quick to catch the idea and stationing themselves at regular intervals along the path with their green spruce boughs they beat out the flames that leapt the little path and threatened the tents. The prairie grass was knee-high and as dry as tinder, and although the wind was against it, the backfire ate its way steadily back toward the leaping flames. We have done all we can, said Charlie to his chum, as they stood watching anxiously the approach of the flames. It's a toss-up whether we will win or not. If our camp goes, we are done for that's all. We haven't got the money to refit again. My, that would be a wonderful sight to enjoy if our future wasn't hanging in the balance. It was indeed a wonderful sight. The fire, now scarcely a quarter of a mile away, was sweeping steadily down upon them, a solid wall of flame ten feet high, licking up the dry grass with a roaring cackle like a mighty wind in a forest, while toward it, the backfire was slowly but steadily eating its way. The space between the two fires was as bright as day, and in it the lads could see scores of animals running bewildered here and there, trapped between the two lines of flames. Deer, coons, wildcats, and foxes ran back and forth in frantic terror. Within twenty feet of where the boys stood, a lithe form cleared the flames of the backfire in a mighty leap and rushed by the tents heedless of the presence of human beings in its mad flight for safety a panther commented charlie briefly as the terror-stricken animal rushed by during all this time the other occupants of the camp had not been idle under the captain's directions his gang of spaniards had formed a bucket line from the ditch to the tents and they soon had the little dwellings dripping with water. 
The teamster had got his frightened mules out of the corral and led them to a place of safety on the grade, and the two engineers had run the truck out on the road beyond the line of flames. Their tasks done, all, Americans and Spaniards, worked to get their most valuable possessions to a place on the grade where they would be safe. They had but little time to work, however, for the intense heat soon drove them back to the road, where they gathered together and watched anxiously the meeting of the fires. They had not long to wait. With a roar, in which was mingled the cries of the tortured animals, the advancing wall of fire swept down on the thin line of backfire. Our little party held their breath and waited. If the wall of flame leapt the dozen or so feet the backfire had eaten away, their camp was gone. Five minutes, and a transformation had taken place. Of the mighty conflagration, nothing remained but the blacked, smoking dirt of the prairie. The backfire had vanquished its mighty rival. But the danger was not yet over. The wind had swept bits of blazing grass down among the tents, and tiny fires were springing up in a hundred different places. These the boys and their followers beat out with the green branches of the spruces. It was a full half-hour before the last of them was extinguished, and they were able to stop and rest and take account of the damage done. No one was seriously hurt, but all bore marks of the conflict, in the way of burned clothing, singed hair, and blisters, but all were too happy over the saving of the camp to pay much attention to these minor injuries. Woof! That was a close shave, said Walter, but all's well that ends well. By the way, I didn't see anything of McCarty and his crew. I should have thought he would have come in with his men and given us a hand. Perhaps he has had his hands full out there, suggested Captain Westfield. Maybe that fire was just set so as to draw the men off the machine. I never thought of that, said Charlie anxiously. The fire drove everything else out of my head. Let's go out and see what's the matter. The machine isn't running. As if in answer to their conversation, there came from the machine three long blasts of the whistle, a pause, then four long blasts. The signal for the wagon and the distress signal, Walter cried. The three lads went forward on the run, followed by half a dozen curious Spaniards. The captain remained behind to keep an eye on the camp. The boys were halfway to the machine when the signals sounded again. Three long blasts, followed by four long blasts. Panting, they reached the machine and clambered up on the steel platform, where the firemen and the two groundmen were grouped around McCarty, who lay motionless, with his head in a little pool of blood. Charlie dropped to his knees beside the prostrate lad and felt for his pulse. "'He is alive, all right,' he exclaimed. We'll have to get him to camp before we can do anything for him. Bossy, how did this happen? Two men climb aboard while we standing still looking at fire, said the excited fireman. McCarty no see them. I no see them. We busy watching fire. Groundmen busy watching fire, too. I no see them till there come a crack and McCarty falls. Man hit him over the head with a gun. Other man hit at me. I dodge. I got steam hose in my hand. I turned steam hose on two men. It burned them plenty. They yell plenty. They drop guns. Run plenty run. 
By the time he had finished his narrative, the wagon had arrived, and McCarty was gently lifted and placed in it, and the wagon headed back for camp. Please stay by the machine, Walt, Charlie requested, as he took his seat in the wagon and pillowed McCarty's head in his lap. I'll send one of the engineers to take McCarty's place as soon as I get to camp. As soon as the wagon had gone, Walter took one of the groundmen's lanterns and looked around for the guns. Bossy claimed the strange assailants had dropped. He found both, half buried in the soft sand beside the car. They were savage rifles of the latest make, equipped with Maxim silencers. The lad ejected one of the cartridges and, prying out the bullet, examined the powder. It was high-grade smokeless. He gave one of the rifles to Bossy, much to the fireman's delight. I think, said the Spaniard, in his quaint English, I think this be much more better than steam. The other rifle the lad gave to the ground man, with instructions to keep it always with him. He was showing them how to operate it when Bob Bratton arrived to take McCarty's place. Bob grinned as he saw the Spaniards awkwardly handling their new weapons. They are more likely to shoot themselves than one of the enemy, he commented, but I guess it will make them feel safe to have a gun along with them. How's McCarty? Walter asked anxiously. Oh, he's come to all right, answered the other carelessly. He got a pretty good crack over the head, but he didn't break the skull any. He'll be all right in a couple of days. Meanwhile, he added, with a sigh. Will and I will have to work twelve-hour shifts. Are you not afraid to work nights, with all the queer things that are going on around us? Walter asked curiously. The other laughed frankly. Thunder, no! he said. Dredgemen get used to danger. It's around them all the time. Why, kid, when we are working in the Everglades, it is often impossible to hire men to work in the rotten mud, and then we have to go to the jails and convict camps to get our labor. I've worked on jobs there that there were no free men on the payroll but the engineers. All the rest were men working out their fines, and every last one of them eager to crack the engineers over the head and get away. Bosh! This job is a cinch compared with some jobs we have all worked on. The sun was rising when Walter started back to camp. He had only gone a few steps when he stopped and waited. From the direction of Indian Town, a horseman was approaching the machine. The waiting lad recognized the pony and its rider. It was the little man whom he had escorted past the machine a couple of days before. End of chapter 16